Welcome to the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, where we unpack the big political stories of the week. My name is Mike Siluma. Top of our conversation this week uh, will be a focus on state-owned enterprises or companies, as some call them. Together with our guests, we'll be uh, trying to answer the question, what is the, the role of these companies and why do they continuously seem to underperform in their given task? Uh, after that, we will cast our eye to Parliament itself, where a new Speaker of Parliament uh, was being elected amidst uh, a lot of controversy. This is racist. I've never ever been a spy. Can the PBS bank loot? Uh, the problem is that pinky. I'll never subject myself to whiteness. I'm listening. Can you have consistency, Honorable Chair? Corruption was an Olympic sport. They will always win gold. This is not a shit. Can you please come in? And this is where Makinana, our parliamentary correspondent, is with us, uh, as well as, uh, of course, uh, Professor Harun Borat, who's director of the Development Policy Research Unit at the University of Cape Town. And I'd like to welcome you both to the show. Uh, and so this week, uh, there, there was a presentation in Parliament uh, regarding the SOEs. What, what would you say was the essence of, 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 of what was presented? Uh, look, Pramike, I mean, we know the story of South Africa's SOEs. Um, it's a story of poor, of poor management, of political interference, of high debt, of weak balance sheets, and uh, a, a critical shortage of skills. So uh, since the Cyril Ramaphosa administration came into office, they have been uh, trying to turn this around. And so the story that you would hear is that we are working on a plan, we are turning things around, and that is what you would hear. But when it comes to reality on the ground, uh, the, the, the what's happening on the ground and what they're saying do not really match because as you know, for instance, where do I start with ESCOM or with SAA? Uh, how do you tell us that you're turning things around when the national airline is grounded? or when ESCOM can't provide its most basic service, which is uh, to keep the lights on. So the story is the same. There is a plan for ESCOM, there's a plan for Denel, there's a plan for, for SAA, for instance. Yeah, the, 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 the detail is not even there. You know, we've been talking about ESCOM unbundling for two years now, and we're still talking about ESCOM unbundling. We're still talking about turning things around. So uh, it's really hard to pinpoint and say, this is the issue. That's why I was saying to you earlier or, 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 of, uh, that uh, there's nothing new, really. There's really nothing to talk about. And now they come to parliament and say, we can't give you any financial figures uh, because we are under audit. And fortunately, the committee allowed that to happen because that would have been new. You know, if you come to us and tell us that ESCOM debt is being reduced by this much and so on, then we can say, okay, we are seeing some developments, we are seeing some progress. But if you don't do that, then it's really hard for us to say, this is the story, this is where we are. So what, what did the committee say, you know? Uh, well, the committee um, said exactly what I just said. They were not really happy with the progress uh, that was presented to them, which was really a matter of we are talking to Treasury, we are having this task team that is, for instance, the, in the case of Danelle, that can't even pay salaries, uh, that we are looking at um, 
as government providing some sort of a guarantee for Denel to get some money to be able to pay uh, the salaries and so on. So even there, we told that there is a, a, a task team at, at DG level where the National Treasury DG is talking to uh, public enterprises, talking to defense DGs, trying to find a, to work out a plan. But the details of that plan are also uh, not very clear. We're not sure exactly how much Daniel has asked or is asking from the government or how much will government be giving to Daniel. So uh, MPs were like you and I just venting, asking exactly the mm. same questions. Uh, Professor Parad, do you want to uh, uh, come, come in here? The, the, you know, we, we often talk about, as, as Andisa has just outlined, you know, the, the, there's a long history of, of issues and problems, you know, with, with our uh, SOEs. But maybe if, if we can start, you know, a, a few steps back, to say what what is the history of state-owned enterprises in in South Africa and what are they supposed to be doing? Why do we need them? Yeah, thanks, Mike. I mean, I think that's that's a really important place to start because you know it all unravels from there in, on the basis of what Andesiwe has just said. But but you know, in general, if one looks at developing countries and in fact developed countries on their growth and on their long-run growth trajectory, they've all utilized state-owned companies, state-owned enterprises in some form. And so the idea of an energy regulator, I mean, energy uh, company or utility company, um, the idea of telecommunications, um, transport and infrastructure, having state-directed, state-owned firms involved is not new. The key is that these state-owned enterprises must crowd in private sector investment, and they must drive growth and employment. Uh, you know, once they stop doing that, and, and again, we've heard stories about either breakdown in governance, um, inefficiencies, and so on, or in some cases around the world, you turn these state-owned enterprises into the first order of employment creation for an economy, um, rather than generating growth that's when that construct starts to break down. So you don't have an effect of optimally functioning state-owned enterprise uh, um, um, uh, environment, if you like. For South Africa, what happened was very clear. We had, let's say, a sort of, you know, ongoing, fairly uh, okay managed set of state-owned enterprises. If one thinks of ESCOM, SAA, Transnet, Telcom in particular, I'll come back to Telcom as a positive example, and telecommunications, but there was always the possibility that a big negative shock would drive these um, enterprises into um, dysfunctionality, and this is what we had with with state capture. And so, you know, a lot of us have recorded that process of state capture, and I think now we're at a position where, you know, with uh, under under President Ramaphosa, clearly, you know, there is an an attempt to reconstruct, um, redirect under the DPE and Minister Godan's leadership, um, the direction of these SOEs. Um, I can come back to what I think are the key elements to think about with respect to each of the SOEs, but I think it's important to remember that th- there's a combination of, let's say, perhaps not an if- a sufficiently effective and efficient use of, use of state-owned enterprises, even pre-state capture, but then it gets coupled with state capture, and then you see a complete dilution of the effectiveness of these state-owned enterprises in our growth and employment agenda. But they're mm. there. They're on our balance sheet. 
and they're critical for growth and employment. So we have to fix them. And I think that's where the challenge now lies. Mm. Let, let, let me ask this. I mean, you, you've just mentioned, uh, uh, Professor Porach, the 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 task of uh, or, or the mandate of creating jobs. You know, so so should should how how are state-owned enterprises supposed to be run? Are they supposed to be run merely as a means of creating jobs? Uh, or you know, in, and subsidized in a big way, or are they expected to run on a commercial basis and make money? No, I mean the latter, right? I mean I think that's crucial because as soon as you start making this, uh, making a, a a set of companies whose whose um, whose first order of business, if you like, is to crowd in investment and growth for the rest of the economy, if you start changing that mandate, then you're in trouble. So, but 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 I think there's a more subtle point, Mike. I mean, only one percent of total employment in this economy of ours comes from settlement enterprises. So, no matter what we do in terms of yeah, generating more employment through settlement enterprises, if that suddenly became a focus, there's only there's a limit to how many jobs you can create from what are effectively capital-intensive businesses, right? Whether it's ESCOM, um, Telcom, um, SAA, and um, uh, Transnet are all capital-intensive businesses, Donnell as well. So these are not businesses that you can use. This is not sort of labor-intensive manufacturing, right? So they're never going to be generators of employment. And so our, our key mandate and focus needs to be how can they be utilized as engines for growth, for crowding in private sector investment? I mean, you know, the one example I'll give that we always overlook in the mess that we currently have with SOEs is what a tremendous success story Telcom has been. Now, now it's very controversial, right? But I'll say it anyway, is that in this process, Telcom has shared jobs, right? But what has it done? It's created a huge balance sheet um, and dividend flow for the state which then can be used for good things, reducing poverty and inequality, social security spending, improving the quality of schooling and so on. And that's a really good example of how you should be operating and functioning um, uh, state-owned enterprises. Uh, Mm. Another factor which is really important, but I'll pause there after just mentioning it, is that I think we need to, and SAA is one step in in that direction, start thinking more creatively about including the private sector in partnerships with uh, other SOEs. Are we able to make a a very quick uh, comparison between I mean you've you've mentioned telecom for example you know as as a as a success story kind of you know among the state owned enterprises are, are we able to to make a, to, to to distinguish you know and 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 make a comparison between the story of telecom versus for example the story of SAA or a Denel you know, which, 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 which uh, uh, for example, Danelle, which frequently can't even pay salaries, you know, or, or SAA and Mango, where people go for months and months without being paid, you know, almost as if the management was not aware that they're going to have to pay salaries. What is the difference between these two kinds of companies, would you say? Well, I think, uh, to be honest, I think um, in the case of uh, Telcom, you've effect, you, you essentially have got a are um, um, uh, a company with with uh, state ownership that was run um, purely as a private entity with very little involvement and interference from government, right? Um, uh, you know, excellent management and leadership uh, in that company and so on. I think what's also important is to realize 
that each of the SOEs, and I think Andy Siwe's um, um, input is really important, is each of the SOEs have different dynamics and challenges. Um, I think you've got the case of Danel, even though the balance sheet is relatively small compared to ESCOM, is in an operational uh, red zone. So the inability to pay salaries and so on. That requires emergency relief, if you like, and consideration from, from, um, from National Treasury. Uh, the, the amounts, luckily, are not as big. ESCOM is the, is the debt elephant in the room, as we know. ESCOM requires a far bigger, more expansive debt solution beyond the drip feeding to pay interest on the debt that National Treasury is currently only able to do. They need to figure out a much bigger solution on the policy front that's also about dismembering uh, telco, um, ESCOM into three parts and so on. SAA is an interesting case because that's a little bit about saying, well, we're now on a slightly new path, which is a private public sector collaborative effort. Um, COVID has prevented sort of flights from uh, becoming operational, but I think that's an interesting case to see if we can turn this airline around. And then finally, Transnet is actually profitable. So it's like a, it's almost ranked two behind Telcom because Transnet almost, um, despite state capture, um, uh, and despite massive governance issues, is now functioning fairly well and is on its way to thinking about creatively include the private sector in port operations and so on. So, so I think, you know, as we start seeing the different components of the problems, we can sort of either put some of these state-owned enterprises in the emergency room, some of them are in ICU, and some of them are sort of uh, perhaps on their way out of the hospital, so to speak. They, 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 you know, they, they, at the height of the controversy around SAA, they, they, there was a divergence of opinion as to whether it should be allowed to fail uh, or whether it, it, is, it is, in a sense, too important to fail. What, 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 what's your view? Yeah, so that's an interesting one. I mean, I, I did sway between the two, right? Um, and I should, I should note that I'm not a specialist in any of these sectors, but I mean, I did sway between the two views. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one is um, the notion that uh, this would be wasteful expenditure, right? But the other is to recognize that in many ways, uh, the possibility that a national carrier would crowd in private sector investment. So in other words, at least you've got an airline that can fly investors into markets in sub-Saharan Africa or the rest of Europe fairly quickly and, and facilitate, right? Facilitate investment in those markets. Um, and so in, the, in that way, if you think about it that way, um, SAA, if run optimally and efficiently, that's the key thing with little wasteful expenditure, not like it was in the past, can become an instrument for crowding in growth uh, and investment, right? But I, but I do think the skepticism um, of all uh, the, the public and the, the sort of SOE watchers is correct, right? You do worry that this is a, 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 a another blank check to go uh, to go on and become wasteful and so on. And I think the idea that you've got the private sector as an equity partner is key because they do have mm. shareholders. They do want a return on the investment. And so that's the kind of discipline that you're looking for in, in a better run SAA. Would you, would you say between uh, policy and people, what, what is the biggest problem for, for the SOEs that are not working? Or is it both? 
In other words, if we wanted to fix an SOE, what should we be looking at? The, the policy or the personnel in there or the board or the minister? Or I mean, I think it's a combination. I mean, I think luckily on, on, the, on the governance side, at least with the board and so on, because you have um, a, a very strong, strong leadership, at least with Minister Godan, then you, you, we sort of, we're not worried at all about governance, at least in terms of a rank ordering of problems. I think you need to, again, go into each SOE and decide which is the most preeminent and dominant um, problem to deal with. I mean, in the case of ESCOM, you have to solve that uh, 400 billion rand problem, right? I mean, if you don't solve that and find a way forward, this is going to be, you know, a continuous um, uh, albatross around policymakers' necks. I think Transnet, for example, it's they have probably have, I mean, we generally all have skill shortages, but they probably would be thinking more about creative solutions to improve the efficiency of ports, for example. So it's very specific things. I think Danelle is a very clear case that they need bailouts. They're in the emergency room, right? So to answer your question, I think it's a combination of all these things, it's either um, um, fixing the balance sheet, solving long run long run debt problems, or or in fact micro solutions to specific challenges, whether it's infrastructure and so on, um, are all important. But they differ in their in their weighting, right, um, across each of the SOEs. Okay, let, let, let's go now to the to the other uh, big story of the week. Uh, Andy Siwe, I'd like for you to come in here in Parliament. Lots of drama with the election of the of the new speaker uh, would you say this was the most controversial appointment of of a speaker to, you, to in your recollection yeah it was quite um controversial uh, and starting with the 17 spoiled pilots i mean we didn't see that coming um and our suspicions are that those are anc pilots uh, the opposition parties that that do not support the did not support the ANC candidate, they were out there. They made it loud and clear that the DA, for instance, said we will field our own candidate. The EFF and UTM stayed away because they don't approve. So you are left with people that participated either because they support or well, we thought they support one of the two candidates. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have 17 spot pilots, which points to maybe some unapproving people in the ANC. So this is going to be interesting to watch um, going forward. So, so and people in the ANC who don't approve of of what? Of of the of the of the new candidate. Of the candidate. Of the candidate. Because we know that caucus is very divided. I think it has never been more divided at any point <laughs> over the past uh, 27 years than it is now. So uh, that's actually a story that we're looking at because yesterday's uh, sitting also opened a door. Sorry for sidetracking, but the, it opened a door. If you remember, there is a African transformation movement that tabled a motion of no confidence in the president. That motion could not be considered because at the time the speaker said, due to lockdown regulations or restrictions, the house cannot uh, convene physically to elect a president, sorry, to, to, to vote on this motion uh, on secret ballot, right? And yesterday showed us it could be done. So the ATM has already said it's going to now push for its motion. Now, if you are the ANC in this COVID climate where 
some of your MPs can't come to Cape Town and attend a physical sitting because they are either positive or COVID positive or are recovering or for many other reasons. And you have a grouping within your caucus that can spoil its vote. Uh, you would be concerned. If I was Gwede Mantasha, if I was Cyril, if I was Pemi Dina, I would be very concerned going forward uh, from what we've seen yesterday. So I think that's a very important political point that mm. we have to watch. The fact that people went to parliament yesterday to spoil their votes. And I mean, really, I can't think of any other political parties that would do that, but people within the ANC. But going back to the to the actual election, yes, the 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 new speaker was elected, but she is coming under a big cloud. I mean, less than a month ago, she was contradicting the very same president on the so-called uh, insurrection uh, versus coup versus a uh, counter-revolution. So um, it's very interesting that now she gets promoted, basically. Uh, to you know, head the third or second arm of the state, but I don't think she's the most uh, controversial. I mean, I think Ms. Mbete, Balega uh, Mbete, in her second stint as a speaker, remember she was the chairperson of the ANC when she was voted speaker. Uh, she was an ANC office bearer, and you could see that that conflict of interest throughout her second term. She was. She was very partisan, and that you she couldn't separate the position of being an international chairperson from being the speaker of the National Assembly. So for me, that was very problematic. It's going to be interesting to see if Mapisa um, Nakula, who was in the executive for almost 20 years, if she can really transition from that mindset to becoming a nonpartisan speaker of the National Assembly. So the, the 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 new speaker, the, the newly minted uh, speaker, Nosiwe uh, Mapisangagula. Apparently, there there are there are investigations ongoing against her. What's going to happen to those? Um, look, it, it, that is uh, yeah, that is mind boggling. How the ANC thought this was the best person to to put forward as their candidate when there are these investigations that are, even with the with the looting that we saw last month, she was the head of defense. She's the person who was supposed to come to parliament and account on, you know, to these inquiries that would be looking at what happened in case at, and, 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 and how tank. So how on one hand, she's going to be this head of the institution. On the other, she has to come. She has to come and answer for her role uh, in this thing that unfolded. Now there's this oh, controversial um, allegations made by General Holomisa to the Joint Defense Committee. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, so, it's so dirty. It, the, the, the allegations are so bad and she has to account the virtue that you are the speaker doesn't um, mean you are above uh, repro- you are beyond reproach, you are above parliament, you are above accountability. She has to account. But how then she handles herself? Actually, that should be the first test. Will she avail herself? You know, will the ANC caucus or uh, the ANC com- component in the defense committee, or, or are they going to push? For her to account, will they do their job to ensure that they, she answers 
to those questions. That will be one of the first tests that she will have to pass for us to sort of respect her as a, as a, as a nonpartisan and a credible speaker. And of course, you will be keeping an eye on developments on that front because it sounds oh, yeah. from what from what you are saying like this is not that the final word has not been said despite her her being confirmed as Speaker of Parliament. Well, it looks like we are only starting now because going forward, we want to see how is she going to handle all these things that don't just point at her party, that point at herself as a person as well. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, folks, that, that's all we have time for on the Sunday Times Politics Weekly this week. Let's thank our guests for this week's conversation, Professor Harun Borat, who's the director of the Development Policy Research Unit at the University of Cape Town, as well as uh, Andy Sui Makinana, who's our parliamentary correspondent. And by the way, you can find a podcast of this conversation on iona.fm, on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you prefer to source your podcasts. Until next time, stay safe, sanitize, wear the mask, and avoid crowded places. I'm Mike Siluma, signing off. Music